You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. When Donald J. Trump began his campaign for president, he said that people coming into the United States from Mexico were, quote, bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists, and some, I assume, are good people, unquote. He also said that as president, he would build a wall along the border with Mexico and that he would get Mexico to pay for it. He first called for a ban on immigration by Muslims, then called for suspension of immigration from uh, countries that sponsor terrorism and extreme vetting of immigrants to the United States. Throughout the race, undocumented immigration remained a central theme of his candidacy, and he discussed it during the third presidential debate. One of my first acts will be to get all of the drug lords, all of the bad ones. We have some bad, bad people in this country that have to go out. We're going to get them out. We're going to secure the border. And once the border is secured, at a later date, we'll make a determination as to the rest. But we have some bad hombres here, and we're going to get them out. Today, we're going to be discussing what policies President-elect Trump is likely to pursue on immigration issues after January 20th when he is sworn in. Our guests are Harlan York, an immigration law expert who is the founding partner of Harlan York and Associates, and Stephen Legomsky, professor emeritus at Washington University Law School, who was senior counsel to the Secretary of Homeland Security. Welcome to both of you. Stephen, why don't we start out by talking about what we can expect President-elect Trump to do immediately upon taking office about immigration? Uh, well, thank you for having me on. One of the uh, first things that I would predict he's going to do, because he pledged to do this during the campaign, and it's one of the um, logistically easiest things to do, is issue a memo or have the Homeland Security Secretary issue a memo formally rescinding uh, the DACA program. The DACA program is the one uh, in which um, uh, people who were brought here as young children uh, and who have lived here several years and who passed various background screening checks and so on uh, would be very low priorities for removal and would be permitted to work during the time that these low priorities are still in effect. Uh, so he could just issue a memo revoking DACA. Uh, one tricky issue if he does that is what happens to the people who currently hold it. It's one thing to say we won't issue any further grants of DACA, uh, but if he seeks to withdraw the work permits of the people who already have it, uh, there's a very complicated procedure for doing so. The regulations say you have to send an individual notice to each of what would be more than 700,000 people. You have to give them reasons, and you have to give them 15 days in which to respond. And even if you do all that and formally revoke it, uh, collecting these pieces of paper that provide authorization to work is another matter, and that would be very, very difficult. So my guess would be he's going to do this, but allow those who currently have DACA uh, to continue to enjoy it for as, uh, until they expire on their own, which would be at most two years from now. 
Harlan, you have a, have an immigration law practice in Newark, New Jersey. Um, I'm interested to know both whether you agree with what Stephen just said about his expect, expectation and also what just what you've heard from your clients and prospective clients over the last few days. I understand you've, you've uh, heard from a lot of them. Sure. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, I, I think it's reasonable to conclude that what Stephen just said is foreseeable. I think we all knew as immigration advocates in the United States that the DACA program could see an end. However, when the DACA program started in 2012, I cautioned everyone who we personally represented in that process in my firm, which, as you say, works out of New Jersey but handles cases all over the U.S., we let our DACA recipients know that this was not a permanent program. And there are many, many programs historically like the DACA program that do have an end date in sight. Sometimes it's not firm. These programs do come and go under all presidencies. And regarding your other question, as far as what we've initially heard from our clients, yeah, there has obviously been a bit of heightened anxiety for a portion of immigrants in the United States, and we're certainly hearing that. However, I have been reminding everyone of the following. Twenty years ago, when I was a young immigration lawyer starting out, Bill Clinton signed the Illegal Immigration Reform and Immigrant Responsibility Act on September 30, 1996, and all of that periods, veteran immigration attorneys who I spoke with as a relatively new lawyer were telling me it was the end of the world, all immigration law was being eviscerated, courts were being stripped of their discretionary powers to hear cases, the aggravated felony definitions were widely expanded, the three and ten-year bars were placed into the law, and so on and so forth, and we've been suffering with the effects of all of those rules that became law in April of 1997 for the better part of two decades, and we've been fighting as an organization, the American Immigration Lawyers Association, thousands of us have been dealing with that reality. And one final thought is that when George Bush left office, the pending number of cases nationally in the deportation context in the immigration courts was at about 186,000. Under Barack Obama, it's tripled to right now 521 plus thousand. So well, it's not it's, just it's not just the um, you know what we're what the country is going to do about people who are here undocumented that President-elect Trump has been talking about. He's also sketched out a number of things about how he's going to stop illegal undocumented immigrants from coming into the country. Steve. The most prominent of these, of course, is the wall. How likely is it he's actually going to be able to build a wall and get Mexico to pay for it? Well, I think both are extremely uh, unlikely. And by the way, I agree with everything that Harlan just said uh, extremely well. Um, two reasons for that. One is that um, it would be prohibitively expensive, despite Mr. Trump's claims. Um, all the empirical estimates put the number at somewhere between 15 and $42 billion just to construct the wall initially, and that doesn't take account of the massive sums of money that would be required for annual upkeep. Trump has said he wants the wall to be 1,000 miles long and 35 to 40 feet high and made of solid concrete, which is unrealistic. Congress will never fund uh, that kind of wall, and Mexico certainly won't pay for it. If I had to make a guess, it would be that President Trump, in order to save face, might be able to strike some type of deal with congressional Republican leaders whereby they agree to some modest extension of the existing border fence. Um, but I, it's hard for me to imagine anything more drastic than that. Har Harlan, how about the, Donald Trump's comments about banning Muslims from coming in the country? He's, he's modified that, but is that something that uh, uh, you know, Muslims who are either in the country or want to come in the country or people who come from uh, heavily uh, Islamic countries sh should be legitimately worried about? Look, 
I will again go back to reality and the history of my time 20 years in this practice. In the aftermath of the 9-11 attacks, the government created, of course, the Department of Homeland Security. And one of its first measures, even before DHS had its formal, let's say, initiatives placed, was the special registration program, where nationals in four different enumerated groups were given notice, 26 nations... During the presidential campaign, Donald J. Trump promised to overhaul the nation's approach to immigration and take a hard line on undocumented immigrants and also on people seeking to come into the country. He uh, promised that he would um, first suspend immigration of Muslims, then spoke about suspending immigration from countries that sponsor terrorism, uh, then said he was going to engage in extreme vetting of all immigrants, where his administration would. We're talking about what to expect from the president-elect when he takes office with immigration lawyer Harlan York and Professor Stephen Legomsky of Washington University Law School. Harlan, we were talking about what's realistic to expect in terms of uh, the suspension of uh, the possible suspension of immigration from countries that are predominantly Muslim. What do you think is going to happen? As I was starting to say, um, you know, we had a program like that already in the aftermath of 9-11. It was called special registration. And at that point in time, in September of 2002, the Bush administration put in place a program that grouped, I think I said 26 before the commercial breaks, actually 25 countries back then, nationals from those countries, 24 of which were predominantly Muslim countries. And the registration program went on for many years, and males over the age of 16 were required to register with immigration. I remember taking down people, taking people, that is, down to the immigration buildings um, to register them. And then the program essentially was suspended because the government, I guess, determined that it wasn't really effective in terms of the, the, I guess, vetting, if you will, to use the word that Mr. Trump has used. So it's nothing new. So far, if I look back on the last 15 or 16 months of his campaign, um, I note that a journalist pointed out recently, and I think I put this on my Twitter, that he, Mr. Trump said many things, like all political candidates have said, that contradict one another. I just don't know in reality, when you look at recent history and you look at what they're talking about doing, people who think about vetting, if you will. Well, securing the homeland, we all would agree, is a very important thing. That's why we have a Department of Homeland Security. At the same time, we've had recent historical examples of types of things like this already in place, and whether or not they're successful or not is subject to controversy and or debate. Stephen, we're going to have a Republican president and a Republican Congress. Uh, does that improve the prospects for some sort of comprehensive legislation? Uh, and if so, what will that look like? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I tend to think it might improve the chance of some type of comprehensive bill, um, simply because so much of the opposition to the previous bill came from Republicans who were bent on thwarting just about anything that President Obama was supporting. They hopefully will be more supportive of a, of a good comprehensive bill if President Trump uh, introduces it. My guess is it would somewhat follow the lines of the bill that the Senate passed in 2013, which had three main pillars to it. Uh, one was uh, massive increases in both border and interior enforcement. Um, a second big pillar was a pass to permanent resident status and ultimately citizenship for a large chunk of the current undocumented population. And then the third main pillar uh, was reform of the uh, criteria for legal immigration to the U.S. The one thing that I can imagine uh, having to give up if the bill is introduced this time 
uh, concerns timing. There are many Republicans who are saying we might be able to consider legalization down the path if we can first, quote, secure the border. That, to me, is very problematic because um, the border will never be 100% secure. You'll never be able to prevent people from entering illegally or from overstaying visas. Uh, and if um, legalization is conditioned on that happening, then it would never happen. So it would be hard to define when that would take effect. Uh, but it is possible that um, in the new political environment some paths will be found. Uh, could I also just comment on the previous question? Because I thought Harlan answered it very well. Go right ahead. A, a couple points on the Muslim ban. Um, from a po- purely political standpoint, I think uh, President-elect Trump is going to have to do something in order to avoid being accused of breaching his campaign promises. Um, I don't think he will issue an order that explicitly bans Muslims by name. Uh, the reason I don't think that is that even though there is a provision in the statute which gives the president the power to ban any class of aliens, or class of aliens, that's the way it's worded, uh, whenever he finds that their admission would be detrimental to the interests of the U.S., I know that sounds like a very broad grant of power, but if the president were to try to do that on the basis of religion in particular, uh, to single out a particular religion, uh, then a serious constitutional question would be raised. And so rather than bar Muslims, what I could imagine him doing is saying, for immigration from the following countries, and then there could be a list, uh, we, will, uh, in, we will increase the number of security checks. Although Our, as a practical matter, I don't know what he could add to the many checks we already have. Thank you to Professor Stephen Langomsky of Washington University Law School and immigration law expert Harlan York. Coming up, President-elect Trump also, besides immigration, talked about prosecuting Hillary Clinton about her use of a private email server. Should President Obama pardon her to prevent prosecution? This is Bloomberg. Osage County, Oklahoma, is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie's based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams-Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.